Hello, my name is Holly Owens, and welcome to Ed Up Ed Tech, the podcast that keeps you in the know about all the latest ed tech happenings. We interview guests from around the globe to give you deeper insights into the ed tech industry, the field of instructional design, and more. We're proudly a part of America's leading podcast network, the EdUp Experience. It's time to sit back and enjoy the latest episode of EdUp EdTech. Welcome to part two of the episode with Dr. Satius, founding director of The Mill. And this part of the episode, we talk about things that have to do with the future. Enjoy. We're not just doing it alone. We're not beating our chest saying that we have got it figured out. What we're saying is that we're going to be bold about striving for more, that we cannot just think of this as business as usual and just operate as if we're trying to satisfy the lowest common denominator. No, we need to strive. We need to find ways in which we can find a benchmark whereby we strive for excellence, but excellence that that is not just about, hey, look at what we're doing, look how smart we are, but it's look at what we're doing for others. Yeah, and to me, that's, that's the greatest thing. It's service. And to me, that's what we're focused on. This is why we're unapologetic about, we recognize that there is this common denominator that you need to bring people into ho- to hospitals and healthcare um, system. But particularly for us at the University of Miami, we are situated in a very important, historically important community in the entire United States called Overtown. It's one of the first predominantly Black neighborhoods in Florida and in the United States. But unfortunately, based on years of policies, bad policies and the like, that there has been disinvestment. And so for me, as one of the leaders at the University of Miami, and I know this is shared by our dean and others, is we can't just be in that community. We have to be for the community, with the community, right? And and so how do we do that? We can't just do it through lip service. We have to be doing it similar to how technologists build solutions, human-centered design. How do we create programs that are community-centered designed, individually-based design? And that's what we're trying to do. That's our holy grail of innovation and technology. So if it only works for a few, then okay, let's find a way how it can work for more people. Yeah, 100%. That's, that's fantastic. I'm sure within all these pillars, you have a lot of different projects that are going on right now. Is there anything that you have that you can share and talk about for the upcoming year? Yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. <laughs> like a much. roadmap? Give us some things of what you're doing. What are your goals? Yeah. And, and the roadmap that I'm about to share, it's really more of an invitation to your audience. As I said, we, we're wow. very humble. We're bullish about it, but we're also very humble. We can't do it by ourselves. And this is an invitation for people to join this movement. Let's turn this moment into a movement. So, for example, education. We are galvanizing 
about 30 to 40 different startup and technology companies where we're going to be having apprenticeships for our students. So my request is many of the innovators and founders and leaders out there, come talk to us because we believe that the next MDs and scientists will be chief technology officers. They're going to be the chief medical officers or if not founders, help us to train these folks, help them, help us to build out an ecosystem where it's not just technology trained folks who are part of the development of products, but everyone. So that's education. So we're rolling out that program. So we're very excited about that. In terms of research, we have several studies from rolling out our the mailbox, which is our remote health monitoring solution with 1,500 participants, African-American, Black individuals, and Latinos in rural and urban areas, because we got to have to get rid of this urban-rural divide as well. And we're providing this remote health monitoring solution, collecting data over a seven-day period, and creating digital twins, working with companies like Amazon on this project. This is critical. It's funny that you mentioned that because I work yeah. at Amazon Pharmacy. Ah, so there you go. <laughs> so, so we got to connect because that's one of the things that I know some of those folks there as well too. Awesome. Um, but, but, but I think this is where we have to provide this wraparound support. And I know big tech companies like on Amazon, they've tried to get into healthcare and haven't done so successfully. And it's not a bad, you know, it's not your fault. It's not Amazon's fault. Because Amazon, the DNA of Amazon is not to take care of patients. That's our job. But if we partner together where we amplify our respective strengths, then that's where we have something special, right? And so that's kind of one area that we're working on. Plus, we're rolling out some really nice projects that provide maternal mental health to moms, you know, particularly black and brown moms, using VR, working with a company called Behavior. Um, doing that type of work, as well as some other companies. I don't want to leave anyone out. And really trying to find some new digital biomarkers as well, too, and, and making healthcare more frictionless, contactless, and dare I say, deviceless. And so that's kind of what we're aiming for and really building out our digital therapeutic. We want, and my vision is, we want the University of Miami to be one of the first digital therapeutic health systems. It doesn't mean we're getting rid of doctors. It just means that many of us as clinicians and my friends who are currently seeing patients, they want to be there for their patients beyond the 15 minutes that they get with them. So maybe we can build digital solutions and therapeutics to provide this wraparound 24-7 support for patients, right? When patients need us. And this is, you know, can be asynchronous or synchronous or on demand, whatever modality we want to choose. That's what we're trying to build out as well. And, and in terms of service and outreach, um, digital literacy program, and we're very bullish about it. We're about to finalize a partnership. We've built our own digital literacy program, but I know others have been doing this. And, you know, there is one company um, that has, that's doing some good work. We want to ensure that any patient, anyone who comes through our hospital system, that they get the digital literacy training that they need. We can't expect or assume that these people know how to log on and sign up for a username and password. No, we got to train them. We got to have to educate them and provide support. So even at that elemental level, that's where we can help to demystify and destigmatize data, you know, data and technology um, as well. And how can we make it more private? 
I think with regards to digital twins, that's how we want to focus on precision medicine. And, and I won't say too much because I don't want to tip my hat too much, but what we're trying yeah, to build no. is a roadmap of how we can make healthcare more personalized um, through the use of digital solutions. Uh, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait either. <laughs> uh, I'm so looking forward to that because I'll tell you, my grandparents are still living and they have navigating all these patient portals for every single doctor. I know. Like, oh my gosh. And for 80 year olds, that's hard. It's hard for me. Well, that's what I was about to say. I was like, I mean, it's tough for anyone. Yeah. Because we lead busy lives. Like who has the time? Like people have to realize, and I say this all the time. I say this to our team, especially when we're recruiting participants to studies or seeing patients. Like no one wakes up saying, I want to be part of a research study. So how can we make it inviting? But how can we make sure people realize that they are the most important component of research studies? Without them, there is no legacy. There are no findings. They are literally helping to change the trajectory of our histories by participating in the studies. And it's not hyperbolic. But this is what we believe. And that's what we try and share. And that's what we not try, but we share with participants. Like, like they are literally changing the trajectory of our histories by participating because their data will help us to understand how to cure cancer, to help to cure heart disease, to help to cure dementia, how to tackle mental yeah, illness. Yeah, all the things. Exactly. That we need. Yeah. Yeah, so we got to have to make it community and, and, and a partnership. And, and I know others are doing ex- excellent work. As I said, we're not the only ones doing this. I think what we are very proud of is how comprehensive we want to do it. It's tough. Our team works extremely hard because it's a very ambitious vision and plan. But it's not a plan that we know or we believe that only the mill can actually satisfy and accomplish. We need an army. We need a village. We need an entire ecosystem. Everyone needs to get their proverbial hands dirty. Yes, agreed. Oh my goodness. All right, we're coming up on the end of the episode. That means you have to come back on the show. All right, well, you, you know where to reach me, Holly. Yes, absolutely. So final questions. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Anything that we missed? And then I want to know, what does the future of ed tech look like? Tell us anything we missed. Yeah, so I'll just take the latter. I think the future, when I discuss the future, I'll talk about some other things that we're currently doing. So our group, not just our group, but the University of Miami is part of a large group of schools throughout the entire United States that are leading this fantastic initiative that the National Institutes of Health has pushed. It's called Aim Ahead. The goal of Aim Ahead is to tackle health disparities and to achieve health equity. And it is doing so by way of including and seeing how AI, machine learning, big data can help us to better understand health disparities and to find solutions that can achieve equity. What we have done is that we have started out trying to build a regional network. Just in Florida, that doesn't mean that we're only focused on Florida, but This is open to the entire United States, by the way. But what we're doing here at the University of Miami is that we have partnered with a few institutions that are minority-serving institutions, HBCUs, historically Black college and universities, Hispanic-serving institutions, and tribal colleges. 
And essentially our vision is this, if we want representative data to, for research purposes and to improve our clinical operations, that large academic institutions are not necessarily all the time at the front lines of tackling health disparities for a wide variety of different reasons. I don't want to get in trouble. The point is, <laughs> yeah. the point is the folks who are at the front lines are community-based clinics, federally qualified health centers, urgent cares. And many of these places are in impoverished, under-resourced locations. So here's the vision that we, we said, what if we partner with an academic institution that's in those communities where health disparities are high, we build up the research AI machine learning infrastructure of those institutions, whether it be in terms of research or clinical care and the like. And then in a hub and spoke model, they then get to train and help the local clinics. So here is it now that the reason why people come to a University of Miami or a Harvard or an NYU or a USC is because of all the superb talent that they have in terms of clinicians and the like, but it's just the infrastructure that you can do several imaging and you can get the results in no time. You can do blood work and the results come back in no time. You don't have that in local community-based clinics. And that's what in many ways from a health service perspective, that's what drives health disparities. So what if we build up infrastructures, eliminating access issues, eliminating slowness in processes in these settings, whereby we can provide maybe as good, if not better, because these smaller places might be more well-resourced with added infrastructure, and they can be a little bit more nimble than these big ship-like types of brick and mortar academic health centers. That's what we're building. And so that's just one method in which we need to stop the talking that health, we need, we're trying to solve health disparities. What we're trying to do is we're all about that action. I know that sounds very vernacular, but we're all about that action in many ways. That's what we're trying to do. And we're trying to make this a pathway and a national model as how to do that. And, and, and so that's how we're committed from a future standpoint to tackle technology, the digital divide, and exclusion. And, and these are some ways in which we are doing that. And just through this program, you know, and there are other programs that we're currently doing that emanates and is a tributary of this main program as well. Fantastic. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the future. <laughs> uh, yeah. After talking to you, I'm looking forward to the future. Yeah, yeah. Different you know, areas. I'm, I'm really yeah. excited about it. I'm really, really excited. You, you know, so I, I must be honest with you. I'm going to try and avoid the chat GPT conversation. And I, I will say this one little thing. When we were teaching, we had a class the other day at one of the local HBCUs. And we were having a conversation around, because, you know, I think many schools are apoplectic about the inclusion of chat GPT, you know, in schools because they're like, well, students won't get to learn. I was having this discussion with my mom, who is also a professor, and she teaches a group of students who may be classified as, you know, historically un underrepresented in, in STEM and the like. I'm of the mindset that in as much as chat GPT is not a panacea for curing all, but it's going to be here to stay. Absolutely. And what do we do? How can this revolutionize education? I likened it rather to how many of us in education adopted this new pedagogical framework called 
class flipping or a flipped classroom mm -hmm. where the onus was on the students to come prepared to read and then we can discuss. And the point that I'm making is this, that many people say, well, if you use chat GPT, students won't know how to think and they won't be able to write and all of that. We see the type of students that are left behind. These are the students who traditionally are going to school either part-time, and if they're going to school, school full-time, they're also working full-time. And so they may also have a wide variety of different social demands. So what do we do for these folks? Do we say this one size fits all warehouse educational program must work for them? This is why so many of our students fall behind. But what if we use AI machine learning? I'm not just singling out ChatGPT or BARD or any of these large language models because they have, they have their issues, right? Particularly around this concept of hallucinations or stochastic parroting, I believe. Stochastic parroting where it will just make stuff up. And people right. are like, you see, it, it's no good. No, it's just been released. It needs to get better. So I, rec I want your audience to know that it has its limitations or what people call hallucinations, right? Or what people call confabulations, where it tries to fill in gaps and it will make stuff up. It's no different from someone who has a cognitive impairment and they try to fill in the gaps when there are gaps. And that's what AI has been built to do. It's a predictive model, right? So it has its issue. The problem though, is that if we tell a group of students that they cannot use this, while the haves and the have mores, they have already benefited from years of privilege. And the one thing that could help to equalize the footing, these students can't use it, then I have an issue with that. So there needs to be some ethics around it as to when it can be used. But one of the things I was sharing with my mom is, what if we use chat GPT or any large language model as a way of helping kids to think critically, to build an organized thought process. Yeah, because that's what I who, like it for. Exactly. I mean, it saves time. Exactly. Yeah. But don't you feel like, Holly, don't you feel like it has forced you to ask better questions? Yes. Because, right? Because you know exactly, okay, this is where I want to go, but how do I get there? You ask this question, and then that question leads to another question. And here is that's it. That's research. Exactly. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. What if this, we as educators, we use this as an opportunity to help students how to think critically and to develop arguments? Because you know what happens, what happened before this? You would tell students to go do a research and students will spend hours upon hours looking and going down these rabbit holes to find information. When they come back, it's not digested, it's not synergist, it's not synergized. So then what if we can kind of speed up and accelerate the process of the search and focus on the critical thinking on how to develop persuasive argument? Because in many ways, what will happen, and I've said this previously, the type of students that we will likely have based on technology, these are students who have to be what we call information manipulators because we have a bevy of information. So it's not like we're producing new knowledge every day. But what could help to facilitate students to provide and to create new knowledge is if we can accelerate the information manipulation process so that they can learn the theory so that they can go ahead and create and innovate. That is the focus of the Media Innovation Lab. 
because previously we've taught kids how to do research where you're just collecting a whole bunch of stuff and put it together and spit out some kind of regurgitated version of whatever they just looked up. Right. What if we provide it in a more synergized way? And that's kind of what we're thinking, that innovation needs to be a focal point of all education from elementary all the way to professional. Love it. And it's going to happen. It's going to have to happen. It's going to happen. It has to. Yes, it absolutely has to. Absolutely. We absolutely. have gone through a lot here. And I can't wait to share this episode with the audience. And also I'll put all the information shared here in the show notes so you can go grab information about the Innovation Lab and Dr. Satius and his team and what they're all doing. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. It's been fantastic. Holly, this was the most fun I've had in a long time. So thanks to you and <laughs> your audience for listening to us and follow us. We are across a wide variety of different social media from LinkedIn to Instagram, Twitter, The Mill, hashtag The Mill, T-H-E-M-I-L. Please find us, follow us. Let's create and engineer the world that we seek. Excellent. Well, thanks again for coming on. And all that information, again, will be in the show notes. You've just experienced another amazing episode of EdUp EdTech. Be sure to visit our website at edupedtech.com to get all the updates on the latest EdTech happenings. See you next time.